Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, uh, recording this right after the San, Anton- San Antonio Spurs game uh, that the Kings just played, game one of a road trip. Second half of the pod is going to have Bruno Passos, who covers the Spurs for Pounding the Rock, to talk about his perspective um, on how that game went and also just talk about the Spurs season as a whole, how it's gone so far and what he expects moving forward as a team that is rubbing shoulders with the Kings in a play-in tournament. I think whenever the Kings play a team like San Antonio, Memphis, Minnesota, uh, Portland, and there's one other one I'm somehow forgetting there that I'll, I'll do a similar thing to kind of gauge it, the feeling of they're playing competitors. But before that conversation, we reach that conversation. I have uh, Will Griffith of the Kings Herald on in the first segment here to kind of talk about some recent trends. Um, how you doing tonight, Will? Hey, how's it going tonight, Brendan? Doing all right. Um, so not a good game against the Spurs. Um, and also a really bad third quarter against the Suns that we're coming off of. Um, I talked about that with, with Greg and Tim in the last one. Um, and anyone unaware for some reason, 12 points in that third quarter against Phoenix for Sacramento. And then against a really bad offense in San Antonio, the Spurs come out and score 34 to Sacramento's 20 in the first of this one. And yeah, I mean, San Antonio comes into the game averaging 9.5 makes from downtown 32% was their average, and they end up making 18. They double their average and hit 56% from three. And, you know, a little bit of outlier shooting, I guess, from some guys that typically aren't hitting it at a great rate, but it's really bad Kings defense. Um, They were disengaged on defense, and I think that it kind of felt like a lack of effort that was a familiar feeling. And I think talking about a familiar feeling with the Kings compared to anything last year, except for maybe a few outlier um, cases is, is a bad thing. And, you know, they, they did bring back that Phoenix game. They look like they might be able to bring it back against San Antonio and just couldn't. Um, so my general overlying question is like, does this feel like some of the same issues and concerns that we were talking about with the Kings of last year? I think this is a bit of a watered-down version of the same concerns that we had last year. I think we're still uh, victim to the small sample size. I think we're still trying to figure out, as the Kings are, what kind of team they're going to be, how well they're going to play defense. Um, I, I know just from watching the team, uh, just just pure simple eye test, that they look better on defense. Now, of course, I say that after the Kings just gave up you know, what did they end up giving up to the Spurs? They end up giving six to 136 points. So ridiculous to a team that came into <laughs> it averaging 107. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're in the bottom 10 and scoring in the league and, and drop 136 on the Kings. Um, I think, I think though that like these last few games is where we're first, we're, we're finally starting to see a little bit of that old, that old Kingsy magic come back in uh in, in the least positive way possible. I, I, I think that they're they're much improved. I think whatever uh, Kalamian's uh, switching defense was really didn't work. You could tell that they they were completely lost on defense. They don't look lost on defense. I think tonight, uh, especially, it was just a matter of a team got hot and and 
you know, they don't have the confidence to know that they can come back from it. I think some of that is to be blamed on Luke Walton a little bit too, but um, I, I still, I mean, for being the the grump at the Kings Herald about this team for predicting a guy who predicted 35 or less wins, you know, um, I, I still think we need more time before we can fully start, you know, saying the, the, the ship's on fire. It, but tonight was tonight was not a good effort by the Kings. Tonight was not a good showing on the defensive end for the Kings, obviously. But I wouldn't go so far as to say, well, they're back, baby. Yeah. This was the closest game in my mind to like being back, but I'm not going to trip out about one game. Like Phoenix, I weirdly felt like optimistic leaving. Like, because it, yeah. it was different than last year, right? They got yeah. down, what, 24, 26 in the third quarter. And then they hold the Phoenix Suns to. 11 points in the fourth quarter while putting up 28 of their own like they could have won that game you know obviously Mm -hmm. ideally you don't fall down in the first place like I get feeling down about that but bringing that back is a different fire and resilience that than we've seen from these kings um just realizing actually this is the first not close game the kings have been in outside of the um well first not close game that they lost yeah Yeah. because they had that charlotte game and then I think the second New Orleans game, they kind of ran out with a lead early in the fourth. Um, yeah, and I do think the defense is better. You know, it feels weird to say after what we saw, um, but there's a little bit of different schemes going on. This was the first time that it was like an effort thing, and that's what scares me of, yeah. you know, that was an issue last year, and you hate seeing that. Um, you know, Walton talked about like he wants Halliburton to be his identity to kind of infect the rest of the roster and the Kings as a whole to take on the identity of Halliburton, the, you know, fun that he has in his game and the selflessness, Um, like maybe not having him out there makes a difference in that aspect. Um, Actually, before we dive into that, because I want to ask you your thoughts on that, Um, just to, yeah, backtrack a little bit to my initial question. Like I, this was the closest thing to last year and that scares the shit out of me, but it's, still different than last year. Like I said, that fight back against Phoenix, they played really good competition. Um, The standout thing here is San Antonio's a significantly worse roster, even without Halliburton. Um, San Antonio was missing Jakob Pertle, who you'll hear Bruno say later in the episode, might've been the best player on the Spurs coming into this uh, before he went down for health and safety protocol. Um, So no excuses. Like you're the more talented team. What it comes down to is you got out coached. Um, I've been, happy with Walton, especially relative to where I was at before um, so far in this season. But the last three games, like the half court offense is the issue, but that's, we saw that be an issue for how many years now, you know, Walton improved it from the Jaeger years when it was maybe worst in the league. Um, So improving from a low bar, I don't know how much that means like progress is progress, I guess, but the half course half court offense is the issue in transition. The team is still really good. Um, And so a lot of that to me is if you can't, if you're not playing defense, maybe it's because a little bit, the teams are just hitting shots that normal at an outlier rate, but also poor defense. Um, You know, Drew Eubanks has 18 points and in 24 minutes, dad young has 17 points and eight assists in 24 minutes. Um, Yeah. Eubanks had 13 free throw attempts and made 10 of them. If you're not playing defense, you're not going to get those transition opportunities at anywhere close to the same rate. So I think you're just making it harder for yourself. And 
yeah, a big thing for me this year is how much their defense is factoring into these offensive lulls. Um, yeah, you know, I think having Halliburton out there would have helped in the half court setting. Um, but we've seen these lulls happen with Halliburton on the roster. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess to put it put it to you, how, how different in your mind does this go if Halliburton's available? Well, I think I think you brought up a good point that Halliburton would operate better in the half court and that his uh, energy, his uh, his personality and, and what he puts to this team is a factor in it. But I, I also don't I also don't see, you know, Tyrese has like visions soul stone in his forehead. Like if you pull Tyrese out, all of a sudden the Kings are this automaton that that, you know, doesn't give any effort. Like if Tyrese is the only person that has heart and soul on the team, this team is 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 doomed for the lottery again. Right. I, I think that also that if Tyrese is in this game tonight, does Fox go for 37? You know, Fox has played fairly well with Tyrese out, which is going to lead to people, you know, murmuring about, oh, can they, you know, can they play long term together, even though they've, you know, they've started 10 games together, you know, less yeah. than that maybe this season. And so I, I, I think Tyrese would have made a difference. I don't think on a game like tonight, Tyrese is going to stop the Spurs from hitting 18 threes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't see them, you know, Tyrese is, is, I don't think he's going to be the guy that keeps them from shooting. How many, they, they shot 31 free throws tonight. They shot almost double the amount of free throws that the Kings did. And it's like, I, Tyrese isn't going to be able to do all that. You know, he might've been able to stop the bleeding a little bit, but I think, I think there'll be some overreaction to this game in the same way that I felt that there was overreaction in a positive direction towards the uh, Charlotte Hornets game. But we just got Charlotte Hornets, you know, that's all it was. The Kings were just on the losing end of it tonight. A team came in and was blistering hot when they really shouldn't have been. And that's not good. The Kings should never give up 136 points and it shouldn't be acceptable for them, especially with a team that isn't nearly as good as they are. But uh, I'm also going to say that people that are uh, sowing, uh, you know, sowing the seeds of demise for the Kings, it's, it's still one of those things that like, we can talk about it and we should be concerned about it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be freaking out just yet. Yeah, not yet. Um, this next road trip though, is what it, where it's all about for the Kings. You know, I mean, the road trip that they just started tonight in San Antonio uh, tonight at the time of recording, but next game, they have a day off and then play Friday in Oklahoma city day off. You play Monday in Detroit. If you don't win those two games, like must wins, definition of must wins, especially after what just happened in San Antonio. Um, even if, like, don't let OKC get out to a 10 point lead in the first quarter, yeah. you know, like little things like that, right? It, it's taking care of business um, throughout the entire game. Like Walton talks about, I think he says, like playing 48 minutes, right? Because you're never going to get a full or 44. You're never going to get a full 48. You know, I, I think that's totally understandable. Um, and yeah, we just, we haven't seen that and that's kind of been the issue. So yeah, I agree with you. I don't think Halliburton being out there wins the Kings this game. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what stands out is like early in the fourth when Fox had to sit after a crazy third quarter that Halliburton being out there to initiate rather than Davion being the only guy like, sure. yeah, it helps. Maybe they bring it a little bit closer, but Halliburton doesn't solve what the issues were for the Kings tonight. Um, yeah, to extend on that point a little bit of, you know, having rough stretches, a quote from Chemezi Matu post game and Jason Anderson posted this. 
Metu said, everybody has to be ready at the start of games and at the start of halves. So that's on us. It has nothing to do with the coaching staff. It has nothing to do with the training staff. We just have to be ready to play when the ball goes up. Um, yeah, I mean, a lack of effort thing, I don't place on the coaching staff. Um, I want to, this is me leading to your thoughts on how Walton has been this season. And just to share mine first, like I said, like I've had issues with him in the past. A lot of it had to do with running out the same damn switching defense every single time. And I can't help but wonder how much of that was Rex Glamian that, you know, now Detroit with admittedly a not good roster. I mean, admittedly a shitty roster, but feels like they should have a decent defense. You know, Isaiah Stewart, Jeremy Grant, um, Killian Hayes, defensive stopper, Corey Joseph. Um, <laughs> Cade's a good defender. Like they shouldn't be like by far the worst defense in the league in my mind. Um, and yeah, things have been a little bit different. Maybe it's due to Christie, but um, I haven't, I haven't had too many issues with the coaching staff this year. Um, yeah. The effort thing. I don't, I don't blame too much on them or anything like that. Like, I don't know. It, it's definitely like, it's clear they got out coached in these last three games, but you're talking Popovich, Monty Williams and Rick Carlisle. Those are top undebatably top 10 coaches in the league. If not top five, I'm sure I'm forgetting some guys, maybe top five's kind, but those are damn good coaches that it's very difficult to find a guy that's going to out coach them. Um, yeah. I, I, done this a lot the last couple episodes i'll ask you one last time uh and then leave it to you how do you how have you felt about the coaching staff so far this year it, it it's always curious to me that and and i'm not blaming you for this at all but when you um when you bring up coaches other than luke walton the very next coach out of everybody's mouth is doug christie yeah which i feel is interesting because i've always just kind of considered when he moved to the bench it's almost like a player development guy like maybe he's somewhere between rico hines and 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 Luke Walton, I think if anyone's going to get credit for the defense, it'll be Mike Longobardi, just because he's supposed to be a, a, the defensive coordinator, you know, type. And and you can see that the difference between Kalamian and the Longobardi defenses is, is you know a lot less switch heavy, that they're actually facing up on on, on defense. Uh, it's hard for me to give Luke Walton his flowers. I, I admit that, and and he has done a better job this season. Um, there's some things to me that I always, it, it just makes me slow blink in that, like, there's very few times where he'll play Tristan Thompson and Alex Land, like barring an injury. Like it, it's one night, it's Tristan Thompson, one night it's, it's, it's Alex Land. And I'm sure mm -hmm. that's his way of like saving them for the, the battle down the stretch, you know, as the playoffs come yeah. handy. For the but, first time, we saw a whole lot of centers tonight. Yeah, Chemezi <laughs> Metsu got a, got has gotten two straight appearances because of the way yeah. the Kings are playing. Damian and Jones, Damian Jones, who played fairly well last night, but yeah, it, it, it to me it's was it last night or the night before, whichever night before, they play. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just it's one of those things that I, I Luke Luke is one of those guys that he sticks to his guns almost to a fault. And then, like, uh, against Phoenix, it worked. He just threw in a group of guys and was like, yes, you know, go out there and do what you can. And, and you know, that those those kinds of guys like Chemezi Metu, they kind of, you know, brought energy back into the building and, and they were able to make a run off of that. But if you're expecting that to happen two nights in a row, yeah. you know, the Kings would push it to 10 and I'd be like, okay, like, oh, maybe it's worked two nights in a row. Maybe those guys are really hungry to get that extra playing time. And then the Spurs would bring it right back up to 20. It's like, oh, no, no, they're still, yeah. they are still who they are. Yeah. I, I guess the question more so, because you're right. Like I definitely am not trying to sit here and give Walton flowers, but 
there were times last year where I'm like, man, this game was really poorly coached. Yeah, he and lost I just don't feel like a I've lot said of games last year. year in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I really said that this year. Like I, I have my issues with the half court offense, but I think they're not that talented in that aspect. It could be a lot better in the half court offense. That's my biggest gripe. But yeah. I, I'm not like watching these games and I'm like, man, this team's horribly coached. Yeah. And it's strange because sometimes I'll see an out of bounds play. Then I'm like, wow, Walton, that's a nice little play that he drew up. But then there's end of game scenarios like uh, the other night that like two horrible out of timeout possessions in a row that like he just right. had Fox dribbling at the top of the three and then driving in and pulling up from the free throw line. And then that, yeah, I know that Harrison Barnes was the first option on that last shot that, uh, that Halliburton ended up getting. But like even that where he just tossed it off to Rashawn and right back to him. Yeah. It was a decent look from deep, but it's just like that's that's what you had. Like that's that that's what that's what you pulled out of your pocket. I I, I don't know. I'm 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 one of those people that like I, I, I feel like a good coach will win you, you know, five games every season and a bad coach will lose you five games every season. And a decent coach is just gonna, you know, the players are gonna play and you might lose you one, might win you one. But I've never, I've never watched the Kings game and thought Luke Walton won that game. For Luke sure, Walton, Luke Walton made a, a a a switch that 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 stemmed the tide, and and I've I've tried like I've I've I try to step in the other shoes for a little while to be like okay let's see what he does and I I've only ever heard in in his entire tenure that like he doesn't do it all the time it's it's not he's not the largest problem the Kings have had but if you know. If somebody's going to lose in the game, it, it it will be Luke Walton at times, and it's just been one of those things that, like, I've seen in the last couple of days. It's like, okay, like Luke is kind of settling into Luke a little bit too, where we were very close to being like, oh, Luke Walton's coaching a pretty good season so far this year, and now you really don't have to say it because there's been some kind of boner plays the last couple of weeks that I've been like, no, I'm I'm yeah. still not in on it very blatantly outcoached in these last three yes. games um yes yeah I, I like your assessment of you know good coaches are going to win you five roughly bad coaches are going to lose you five and then there's mediocre and i think at very least like i'm feeling closer to mediocre than bad from yeah. compared to last year which is um, a step in the right direction for luke but still totally yeah 11 games in also you know we still got to throw small sample size every time absolutely um i guess the one other gripe i i have with with luke a little bit and Maybe there's some underlying thing here because it's confusing. Rashawn Holmes plays 25 minutes in that game against Phoenix. Um, they didn't have much energy, and a lot of that had to do with Damian Jones ending up playing uh, 12 minutes. A lot of that, I want to say he played the entire fourth. Maybe it was um, a good majority, uh, the closing minutes of the third, and then a good majority of the fourth for him to tally 12 there. And Luke just kind of ran with the same guys that um, got them back in that game, which I have no issues with. Um, against San Antonio, Holmes plays 19 minutes, and I just don't, I don't get it. Like, like I said, I thought the issue was defense, not offense. Um, but Holmes is still maybe the best defender on the roster, center defender. Like, there's sure. he definitely has an argument for that, and the offensive upgrade is substantial enough that like him being close, if not the best defensive big. Like, I, I just don't get that part. And Walton. Post game, um, this is also from Jason Anderson transcribing it on Rashawn Holmes. "Quote: He's got to keep playing. He's got to keep doing all those things that make him a winning player. All those things that we all love about him. And then it's on me to find a way to get him some more touches." End quote. Um, 
like you mean not playing him <laughs> or like that's like the first i'm like i don't know what you mean by that one luke um but yeah um that's that's a weird one i don't know where to place that i I just said you know i don't think luke i think luke's been improved but that one is the first what the hell are we talking about here moment this season to me it's like when you break up with your girlfriend and you're like it's it's not you like i need to i need to be the one who's better for you and i just can't like luke if you want more touches for rashawn holmes he's got to be on the hardwood to get those touches yeah and maybe luke is you know maybe luke thinks that holmes had a bad game and he's taking the flack for it um like maybe i don't know i'm trying to find a possible other side to this yeah like i I was you know i i i don't understand where where something like that happens i mean maybe it's because they got down early and he was figuring a early night for rashawn let's rest him up because we're gonna have a long road trip. We've got OKC coming up. We, you know, we, he did, we need have, him. He did have a hard fall recently. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's part ago. of it. But I mean, it was confusing to somebody like his mother who was on Twitter saying, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I was like, no, oh, no, I think all of Sacramento is wondering where the hell he is because right. he didn't seem injured. You know, he was providing good energy. He was, you know, he was being Rashawn Holmes for the most part. And so maybe they need all 48 minutes of him against the Lexi Pokashevsky. I think that, that's what it might end up being. Maybe. Um, yeah. Went deep into the bench. Um, I guess one other aspect, like uh, don't have to spend too much time on it. Like there's all this, you know, when do we start to worry about Fox? I mean, he should have brought it earlier, but Fox was unstoppable tonight in the second half of the game. Um, like, like I said, definitely should have brought it earlier. And, but we saw him, takeover mode in a way that we hadn't seen from him um this season you know in that third quarter he just in the third quarter 13 points on five of eight from the field uh one of three from distance two of two from the free throw line with three assists and ends the entire game against san antonio with a damn good stat line 37 points six assists um there's a steal there's three blocks which whatever uh four to four turnovers (laughs) Um, and 14 or 24 from the field, damn efficient. Two of five from three, I think is fine for Fox. Seven of eight from the free throw line. He got there a handful of times and he does that in 35 minutes. I do think there's something to what you mentioned of Halliburton not being there and less of like that he's not comfortable, but more so that it's like he's fine where it's like, okay, it's Halliburton's turn right now rather than being like, I got to do this every damn time, which I think we're going to end up getting back to a little bit. And I think that'll benefit Halliburton as well. Um, But yeah, we don't need to spend too much time on it. in my mind, this was bound to happen at some point, but either way, nice to see Fox have a game like this, right? It, it's nice to see. I just, to me, the caveat's always going to be the Kings lost by almost 20 points to a team yeah. that they had no business losing to at all. And so it's like, okay, you were scoring a lot of those points down 20 or like they're in desperation mode where it's like, we need points to get anywhere close to this game to head into the fourth quarter, only down 10 instead of down 15 or 20. So Fox go. And like Fox should be playing with that desperation from tip. Like, and even with Tyrese Halberton in there, like, I don't know if it's because they're both kind of like, well, I want you to have your turn. Well, I want you to feel comfortable with me. So you have your turn. And they're just being passive with each other. But like Fox has to be the best player on this team. And Tyrese Halberton has to understand that he's the number two player on this team or Harrison Barnes is number two. And but like they both talk about each other like they're like the other one is like really hot shit, which is great. But you heard like Fox saying, like, I told him to shoot the fucking ball. Yeah. And 
obviously Halliburton's like, oh, you know, Fox is a ridiculous player. He'll come around. And it's like both of you guys are also realize that yourselves are hot shit. Yeah. Yeah. Just kiss, just kiss. And then, and then (laughs) figure out what you need to do. Like Fox needs to be one a though in that backcourt. Totally. And, and, and without Tyrese, it's a lot easier, you know, even with buddy there, he knows buddy's just, buddy just wants to float around until he gets a a semi-open three. And that makes things a lot easier in terms of handling the ball. And I know it's more complicated with Tyrese, but if it's more complicated for them, it's more complicated for the defense as well. And, and it's harder to stop. So like Fox just, hit the gas from minute one, let Tyrese, you know, it's nice to acquiesce to Tyrese a bit, get him comfortable as a starter these first 10 games or so. But like at some point he's going to have to understand, like ultimately at the end of the day, I'm taking that shot or I'm deciding not to take that shot because somebody else is open. And I'm glad to see 37 points. It's better than seeing 25 points or 17 points or 14 points. But like, it, it feels it rings hollow still only because like this one still doesn't count in my mind a little bit. It does, but it's, it's like a very real asterisk. Yeah. Do, do it in a game where the Kings lose by five. And I go, okay, you know, he he's back. He, he was under pressure, but this one felt a lot like, of course he's going to score 13 in the third. They had no one else doing anything. I mean, they had, I mean, how many of these guys, Harrison Barnes, he had nine points. Mo Harkless had six points. Um, yeah. Buddy Heald had 12 points on two of nine from three. So, I was, somebody I was has gonna to say score. Barnes and Barnes and Buddy had like really big outlier nights. Um, yes. We've seen some Buddy crappy games, uh, but like Barnes specifically, been probably the best player for the Kings this year. Nine Absolutely. points this game, shot the ball eight times. Um, Barnes just disappeared in a way that like with the way the team's been playing this year, like. I don't know. They, I feel like they've grown a reliance on Barnes, understandably. Yes. He's a damn good player. I don't yes. think what he's been doing is all too unsustainable. Percentages will come back down to earth a little bit, but like you just can't have this from Barnes. No, and this is last – like we talk about, oh, is this last season Kings? That's last season Harrison Barnes. He was the invisible man at times. He'd disappear for three or four games, and, and the Kings would lose because he didn't want to – he didn't want to shoot 14 times in a game. He didn't want to take, you know, nine shots. He would just – end up with a five point, you know, eight rebound stat line. And he, the Kings are not sniffing the 10th seed. If Harrison Barnes is averaging, you know, is, is, is going nine points every couple of nights. Right. He has yeah. to be one of those guys. He has to be aggressive. And maybe that's because Tyrese is out and Tyrese is looking for him or what? let's blame it all on Tyrese if we need to, but like he, he just can't have a night like that. Like, especially against, these teams like OKC and and this road trip moving forward, he has to go big or the Kings are going to be in a dog fight every single night against some really weak dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's some aspect, like we said, of outlier shooting in both directions from the San Antonio game. Spurs hit shots at a rate that they haven't all year. And Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald, two guys that, both happen to average exactly 39.1% from three last year combined for three of three of 13 from the field and buddy's two of nine was oh of seven until two threes that he hit with maybe five minutes left in the game when it was already over um i mean not getting anything to fall from buddy is just an outlier like i i admittedly i mean on the last spot i think tim and greg kind of reminded me like I was like, man, I've been frustrated with Buddy with some bad shots, but they're like, you know, Buddy, but Buddy 
is a bad shot maker. That's that's what he does. He gets them up at a high rate, and he's converting at a high rate. Um, so at least some of those are going to go down. But yeah, a little bit of outlier shooting in both directions, but that's certainly not yeah. the reason the Kings lost this game. But I think you also can point at that and be like, that that's not going to happen. Usually they'd, they'd be a little bit closer, and this sort of effort mm-hmm. from Fox might lat- matter a little bit more. Um, but yeah, not to downplay the the concerns and I mean, really how horrible this game was against the Spurs, but first real stinker of the season. I, I was able to find optimism in that Suns game in the way that they kind of fought back and resilience that they showed in a way that I don't think we would have seen from last year's team. And last thing before we move on to the conversation with uh, Bruno Passos getting San Antonio perspective on, yeah, I mean, how much of it was an outlier with what we saw from San Antonio tonight and um, yeah, his, his perspective. Um, oh, yeah, little teaser. He he, I asked him about um, King's offense, and he's like, "Well, Sacramento's offense just looks really basic. You know, it's just spread, pick and roll every <laughs> single time." I'm like, "You've watched one King's game this year, and you're just already like, yeah, this is the King's offense." Um, and you're not wrong, uh, hmm. which says a little bit of something. But last thing before before we get out of here. Marvin Bagley apparently refused to check in in that game against the Suns. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation. Tim Gregg and I had it on the last pod of why is Bagley, why is Chemezi Metu and Damian Jones getting played over Marvin Bagley? Um, and, and we spent a good little bit talking about our opinions on that. It turns out Bagley refused to check in. Uh, Sean Cunningham, multiple sources tell me that Marvin Bagley III refused to check into Sunday's game when Luke Walton called upon him in the second half versus the Suns. I didn't report it wanting to first talk to the Kings coach. Walton said he and Marvin are in communication and he has to be ready. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say. Like it, it's the beginning. <laughs> it was the beginning of the end for Bagley when we saw this quote come out from his agent and we're just getting I don't know. I don't know if I would say actually we're getting closer and closer. Like they're holding on to him as a $12 million expiring contract. Like, and he's just going to sit there and be that. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm honestly, I'm honestly, I mean, sure. I can, I can, I can fake being upset that Marvin Bagley didn't want to go into the game and what was at the time kind of a blowout, but like also like, we expected this like in some level, whether we heard about it or not, we know Marvin Bagway sitting there pouting. It's nice to say that like, Oh, he had a really good training camp and everyone's, you know, together and in Kumbaya and, you know, no, no, like we, you know, Marvin Bagley's agent is, is fuming on Twitter. He's not doing that without the specific instruction of Marvin Bagley to do so. And so, you know, this was gonna, this is going to happen. And to me, this is almost a non-story. It's like, okay, baby's crying. He's still in his crib. Just let him cry it out. Like, keep shaking your head no. Keep shaking your head no and keep letting players pat you on the back and go up to Doug Christie and give him a, a dap up as you go sit back down on the bench. You're running the playbook into ruining your career. And at this point, like, okay, like, you, you, like Marvin Bagley could have died in a car accident at this point. And like Kings fans, like in my mind, like he's already gone. Like he's, he's been gone. We've mourned him. We've all felt terrible that Marvin Bagley didn't turn out and he's just dead. Like he's just in the ground. He's dead weight. Let it's fine. Like let him haunt the arena for as long as he wants to. And then, 
ship his Casper ass out to Detroit or whoever wants him. And I wish you luck, but like he's gone. And I don't feel I can't get a, 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 a it can't get a rise out of me anymore to be like, Oh, I'm really upset that Marvin Bagley didn't come into this game. No, he's just done. He's just, he's just cooked. And, and so, you know, okay, Marvin, don't, don't play the game. I would much rather because Jamezi Metu has a future on the Sacramento Kings team, or at least a questionable, like, Oh, he could, you know, Jones the same way he could. Some of these other guys, well, they could be long-term pieces for the Kings if they worked out. We know Bagley isn't, so so shake your little head and throw your little fit and collect your little check, and then at the end of the day, go. It doesn't it doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't bother me any. Yeah, I think it's well said. I mean, I I didn't really have an issue with not playing Bagley. Um, yeah. Like I see maybe ways that he could possibly help the team every once every 10 quarters that he's out there you know um but yeah i mean i think it's disappointing that like a player is doing that i mean like i I guess my one thing i'll say is that like seeing some people being like oh yeah i don't blame him like the kings have treated him horribly and it's (laughs) like let's let's not act like i mean i i get that you know he's had luca's name attached to him unfairly that's not his fault or anything yeah. He's had injury issues, but he's clearly never been willing to verbally commit to Sacramento, like say that he wants to be here. He had a chance to shut down his dad's comments. You know, he's he's also never bashed on the city, but I, I think, I mean, what stands out to me is, you know, liking a tweet about wanting to be traded um, and his dad saying that on Twitter. And when he's asked about it, he just kind of dodges around it rather than, you know, Fox went about a similar sort of situation of, my dad doesn't speak for me um, yeah. and just Bagley didn't do that. I think he's had opportunities to kind of lessen the situation and he's not done that. Um, like, yeah. So I guess my only thing is seeing people saying, Oh, like, you know, I understand Bagley has been put in a shitty situation and I just don't think like Bagley deserves just as much blame yeah. in this. You're getting paid $11 million a year to be in that shitty situation. Like, so just, you know, uh, that's the other part of it. Like, Oh, you know, well, you know, Kings fans never, never welcomed into the city. There was a large group of the, you know, there was a large, large and vocal group that wanted to get Marvin like, okay, he might not have been the guy we wanted, but we're going to have, we're going to treat him, you know, as if he was our own. Like The loudest I've ever heard Golden One Center was the summer league dunk that he had yes. on Mo Wagner. Yes, absolutely. And, and so it's one of those things that like anytime, anytime they want to use that excuse, it's like, oh, Sacramento never accepted him. No, they tried their damnedest, and then when when he couldn't stay healthy, there's obviously going to be frustration there. When he is liking those kinds of like, of course, there's going to eventually going to be soured. Like, no, they don't want him anymore. Like the yeah. ones that do, even the ones that do, are kind of like get him out of there for his sake. I agree. Just just go, yeah. man. Just just and however long it takes, he could sit there all season. He could he could get a a restricted free agent contract for two $2 million dollars a year, and the Kings could accept it and have him back for another four years, and they could sit him for another four years on the bench, and he could shake his head with whatever coach the Kings bring in after Luke Walton and whatever coach they bring in after that, and for four years he just sit on that bench and collect two million dollar checks. It would not bother me anymore. I'm so over him. He's he's done. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah, and final thing before moving on to the conversation with Brunella. I would, I wouldn't be myself. I'd have to like really hide and change the name of the podcast if I didn't talk about Jemias Ramsey playing 22 minutes Ooh, at least for a second. You know, do it. Um, he showed that he could maybe fill a role on offense. 
And that's about all I got. Defense was pretty bad. Um, but, you know, potentially in a year or figuring out during stretches of this year how to fill a Terrence Davis role seems possible. Yeah, I think I think it's not the impossible dream to dream that Jr. He he gets he he could fill a Terrence spot. He could, I mean, uh, anything more than that is still just a dream. But like he he seems serviceable at this point, or that he could be serviceable soon. Yeah. So congratulations to you, man! I'm very happy for you. It's a big yes. night for you. Yes, great night. Loved this game against San Antonio. <laughs> Best one yet. Yeah, he came in and played two played. Uh, I almost ruined my joke. He came in against Phoenix and the game changed after he checked in. <laughs> I almost said how many minutes he played that would ruin that, but uh, we'll go with the tides changed after JR checked in and I'm going to stick yeah, with that one forever. That, that's, that um, is exactly right. Those two minutes and 25 seconds meant all the world to the Kings. Just, Oh God. Yeah. They, they did it for me for sure. Um, yeah. So any final thoughts here? Will? No, I'm excited to uh, to see that uh, game against OKC. I'm excited to see Pokashevsky um, show the Kings why he should have been drafted over Tyrese Halliburton. And <laughs> some, somebody just clenched their steering wheel so tight that it snapped the wheel. Like yeah. somebody's going to get in a car accident because I just said, no, I'm, ex- I'm excited. And the next game, honestly, on to the next game. This this team hasn't played bad enough for me to go to go completely sour. This game, you know, yeah, it's concerning, but like, this is the best stretch that the Kings have had to start a season in a while. Anyways, they still look better than they were last year. And so I'm, you know, for being the grump, I'm still fairly positive that like, Oh, this team could, could do something. They could surprise me a little bit. And if they don't, well, then I was right. And that's fine too. To me, this game's the outlier. Yeah. And until we see another one like this, I'm going to treat it as the outlier. Just don't Um, make it a habit. Right. And, you know, some people will say what the third against the Suns, but I think bringing it back against that high caliber Western Conference champions last year says a lot. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to me, this is the outlier. I'm going to approach it as that they, yeah. So, and in the next segment here, we talk with Bruno Passos, who covers the Spurs for pounding the rock and get his perspective on why this game is um, a little bit of an outlier maybe or, or where he stands on that compared to how the Spurs have performed coming into this year. He gives his thoughts on Sacramento from what he saw in this game and has seen throughout the early stages of the season. And like I said, I think it's important to keep up with these teams that the Kings are going to be rubbing shoulders with and competing for the play-in spot. So we spent a good amount of our conversation talking about his opinions and expectations for the rest of the year and also talk about would he have any interest in san antonio possibly inquiring about marvin bagley um you know san antonio is a high culture situation it seems like if if a place is maybe going to take a flyer that maybe it's san antonio and and their youth movement and also if if san antonio is a team that uh could be in the conversations for a big name becoming available as that's a potential way that Sacramento could distance themselves. And if, if San Antonio falls into that as well. So um, Will Griffith in this segment, thanks Will for coming on, man. And then stay tuned everybody for the next segment here with Bruno Passos, uh, given a little bit of Spurs perspective on what we just saw and the playing competition moving forward this year. All right. And now we got Bruno Passos joining the show of pounding the rock covers the spurs for pounding the rock bruno's just leaving the game here actually nice enough to hop on here and give his thoughts from the car um what's going on bruno how you feeling after a victory from your side 
Feeling good. Yeah, no, it's a bit, bit of a change compared to how the season's really gone on for the Spurs, especially them being able to uh, hold on to a lead the way they did. But uh, no, it was good. Obviously, maybe uh, contrasting sentiments with you, but uh, that's just kind of the way things shake out sometimes. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting to kind of get the Spurs perspective in this one heading into it in just the year as a whole, since these two teams are kind of rubbing shoulders for a potential play-in spot, even though maybe the age and there's some notable differences in their rosters. Um, but before we dive into kind of what we noticed in this game a little bit, from the Spurs perspective, they're three and seven coming into this one. Um, wh- what's kind of your feeling heading into this matchup against the Kings based on how those first 10 games went for the Spurs? Um yeah, so it's been the Spurs. What they've proven, I think, through those first ten games is that they have uh, a solid defense. They have um, just this young core of, of primarily wing players, along with Jakob Pertl, that they've been able to build around. And 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 as some of the vets have left, um, th- that's the type of defense that has proven to keep them in games uh, throughout to start. You know, it's um, uh, it's they've they've the offense is still a work in progress, but. We've seen them hang with uh, all kinds of competition, and it's really just been um, in closing those games out where uh, there's been a real issue. And this is a team that's got a lot of defensive talent, but in terms of primary creators, uh, isolation scorers, kind of heads of the snake type uh, guys on offense, that's where this team has really been lacking. And that, that really shows as games slow down and um, it, defenses can really park the bus and, and force uh, this kind of unproven group of offensive players to create. And, and things have really, um, that, that's where this team's come out and ended up three and seven. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's part of the conversation going into a game like this where I thought it might have been another competitive one. And um, it'll continue to be a question of you know, how this team can stick it out when uh, those games get close and tight and, uh, and, and slow down. Yeah, um, interesting because I think the Kings have those same half-court issues on offense, although they have a little bit more talent with Fox specifically and then Halliburton who didn't play in this one. Um, But then the defense they're falling back on is certainly not league worst like it was last year. I I think there's a decent improvement based uh, from what we saw last year, but also that's starting from a really low point. So you're still talking about, you know, probably 25th, 23rd in defense would be my guess. But specifically in this San Antonio game and also the game prior that the Kings played against the Spurs they had a horrific third quarter. Um, they fell back into some of the previous horrible tendencies of just a lack of physicality. They didn't look engaged at all out there. Um, you know, I, I think that from my point of view, like I said, it's a lack of physicality and a lack of effort and being engaged, locked in, coming out the gates, ready to deal with this San Antonio team. And the Spurs hit a lot of shots in the first half. They end up with 71 points to Sacramento's 54, um, 27 made field goals with assists on 20 of them and 11 of 19 from three. So like I said, I think the Kings didn't play to their defensive standards, even without Halliburton, kind of the disruptor there um, unavailable. But from your point of view, did it kind of feel like the Spurs were able to get into whatever they wanted? Um, was it a lot of, you know, making things easier with transition offense? And like, how much of it was maybe a little bit of an outlier shooting night? Um, 
Yeah, so a few things there. I You mentioned that the Kings looked a little bit flat, lacking that physicality. And I thought that really came through sort of on both ends. I'm not sure. I haven't watched them that closely. So um, I wasn't sure kind of how this uh, benchmarked against uh, the rest of the season. But um, really just pretty flat-footed on defense. I didn't see them uh, really give the Spurs much resistance in terms of uh, San Antonio getting to their preferred spots on the floor. Um, the Spurs are a team that if you can force them out of the paint, uh, put them, put their, you know, less talented shooters in positions where they have to create and, and uh, let the, um, you know, shot clock really uh, drain, then that's where this team really gets into trouble. It's about, you know, in the half court, the Spurs excel in transition, but um, when they have to, you know, create something out of nothing, they, they sort of have lacked the, the talent to do so. Um, but wasn't really a problem. Obviously, they shot the lights out, which isn't going to happen every night. But I thought a part of the reason for that, uh, beyond the general variance you get, is just that you know the right the ball was finding the right guys on the floor, uh, and those guys were were getting good looks at it. You know, it, it wasn't uh, Dejounte Murray or Derek White or Keldon Johnson necessarily needing to throw up shots. The, the ball was finding Doug Mc, Doug McDermott, Devin Vassell, Bryn Forbes had a good night shooting. So. Um, I didn't see much resistance from the Kings um, in making the Spurs play to their weaknesses uh, very much. So um, thought thought it was a bit of both sides in, in terms of how the the offense played out for the Spurs uh, there. But yeah, uh, felt like a little bit was lacking from the Kings. And given that they are they were five and six coming in, uh, maybe a bit of an outlier performance from them. But I'd be interested to see if if, if you feel differently. Yeah, I think so. Um... You know, there's I mean, the the standouts are Harrison Barnes, who came into this, I believe, averaging 22 and eight on ridiculous efficiency, just under 50 percent from the field, 40 percent from three, um, got up a significant amount more shots each night. And then he just has a stinker in this one. Least points he scored all year, nine, um, three of eight from the field, one of four from three. He was averaging uh, career, maybe not career high, but he was averaging about seven free throw attempts per game coming into this one. He only gets to the line once um, while San Antonio is missing their primary rim protector and Yaka Pirtle. Um, he, him having a stinker, I think was a really big aspect here. And then I also think, you know, Buddy Heald had an off night. Like uh, we've talked about it on the last few episodes here, but outside of Buddy and Barnes, like, there's not many shooters on this team, um, specifically when Tyrese Halliburton is benched or sidelined, not benched with an injury. And Terrence Davis falls into that as well. Um, even though both of those guys haven't been great to start this year, they obviously have that capability. But yeah, the Kings just can't survive when Buddy and Barnes aren't hitting shots. Um, and Buddy in that first quarter, he ended up two of nine. In this game, the two he made were like late in the fourth. The game was already over. I want to say like five minutes left. Um, so yeah, not a three from him in this entire game. And you know that that is an outlier. Like Buddy takes bad shots, takes and makes. I guess you couldn't shouldn't call it bad because it's Buddy healed, but contested shots. Um, but I thought early in this game he was throwing up them up a little bit too quick for my liking. Um, but yeah, the, the Kings just can't survive shooting nights like that but it goes further than just outlier shooting in both directions here like the offense was sloppy um we, we touched on the defense um uh, of san antonio and how 
or I'm sorry, the defense of the Kings and how San Antonio was kind of able to do whatever they wanted um, from the other side of the court's point of view, Sacramento on offense and San Antonio on defense. Um, you know, in the second half, it felt like Fox was kind of able to do whatever he wanted in the pick and roll, but had to do absolutely everything himself. Um, but aside from that, it almost, from my point of view, felt like the Kings beating themselves more often than not and allowing San Antonio to get a lot of transition opportunities. Um, from your perspective, was this a particularly good defensive night from San Antonio or do you kind of uh, fall into what I'm saying of San Sacramento really was beating themselves up specifically in that first half? Yeah, I'd say more of the latter, probably. The Spurs, like I said, they're, they're, they're I think, a solid defensive team. They're probably top 10-ish right now in defensive rating. I think that's going to hold because um, just the, the, the proven commodities they have, especially on the perimeter. And I, I feel like maybe the Kings end up being a, a preferable matchup to them just because um, they, you know, obviously Halliburton wasn't there, but a lot of the talent still lies on the perimeter with uh, with Fox, um, Davion Mitchell bringing that um, punch off the bench. But the Spurs have the guys to kind of counter that a little bit. Now, Fox obviously uh, had himself a night. I can't remember, was it 37 points? Yeah, 37 there, points. And everybody yeah, was wondering so, where the hell is Fox, and he finally showed up, but yeah. a little too late. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously he's a, a talented player, but it, it felt like when he wasn't doing that, when he wasn't shooting them to stay in the game, he wasn't really doing much else in terms of uh, it lifting up the rest of the team. And, and I don't know if that's a sign of maybe an offensive system that's still a little bit um, needs some work, because I, I felt like, uh, the Spurs are obviously a high motion offense that, that that's a high level of activity to generate um, looks and try and uh, break down defenses. It seemed like a little bit of the opposite with the Kings where just a lot of uh, uh, spread pick and roll with not much action. And, and that's the Spurs are um, going to, I think, be able to, to handle that pretty well. They, they lacking Pirtle's presence um, in the paint isn't that big of a deal when guys can um hedge and show and 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 still recover on their shooters because of uh, just that 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 talent and athleticism on the perimeter so um i think it kings maybe came into a bad matchup um for themselves um and i think i'd say you know solid b effort for the spurs on 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 defense but um not nothing um sort of again as, as in terms of an outlier performance yeah it's it's hilarious how yeah like easy it is for you to pick up on like just the basicness of Sacramento's offense. And I think Halliburton out <laughs> being out there adds a little bit more dynamic to that. Um, yeah. But it's still kind of, you know, taking turns of doing the same thing. And that's something that is going to need to be worked out this season. Um, but yeah, it really has been, yeah, just really pick and roll. And, and we've seen the last couple games for the Kings, um, this one against San Antonio, against Indiana, and against Phoenix, where teams are really aware that, that going into it, that this is what they're going up against. Those three teams I mentioned are really well coached, and they just take away that initial action, and the Kings look like they have no clue what the hell to do after that. Um, and all of a sudden, there's eight seconds left, and they're just in a tough spot. Um, yeah, it's funny how easy it is for you to recognize that because the offense has been way too basic um, so far in this season. And yeah, while, while maybe it's a bit of a tough matchup for the Kings, I mean, I feel like they have more talent, even without Halliburton. I, I guess to address this real quick, like everyone's going to say, you know, Halliburton wasn't there. 
Davis wasn't there and Davis, whatever he was getting DNPs a couple times over. Um, but Halliburton not being there. I just want uh, your perspective on like Pirtle not being there from San Antonio's point of view is, is also a huge deal. No. Absolutely. I think um, to, to start the season before Pirtle went down, um, you could make the case that he was the, as important as any other player on the team. Just um, his, his defensive uh, presence is, is sort of known before the season, but he's really t- taken a step and uh, just his involvement on the offensive end he's written about this but uh has led the team and was leading the team in front court touches just because uh he's not only just uh involved in as many actions as possible with the pick and roll but um facilitating uh, uh from the the elbows and uh, top of the key with uh, handoffs and um just a lot more of an effective roller just doing a little bit more so um and and the team has not really been all that deep behind him obviously thaddeus young has really picked it up and he had an excellent game. Like I'd, I'd say game ball should go to him just from, from what he did uh, on both ends of the floor and taking charges, getting deflections. And um, I think he had uh, eight assists. So um, he's really come into the, 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 the void left behind by Pirtle, but um, definitely the, the Spurs still miss him. And, and um, Drew Eubanks, who's doing his best uh, sort of an unfamiliar territory starting uh is not Jakob Pertl so no def- Spurs definitely missed him but um I think definitely a fair point that um on on the other end uh Davison um Halliburton Halliburton especially as that sort of kind of connector creator um would have done something because the offense uh for the Kings just yeah looked extremely flat when it wasn't um uh De'Aaron Fox making uh turning nothing into something totally um yeah, just to, I think with what you mentioned of Pirtle there, like, you know, there, there's no excuse just because Halliburton wasn't out there. Like, um, the offense looked rough, but I'll say that there were really bad offensive stretches earlier this year as well against high caliber defenses. Um, it, it's just the half court offense The you know, you kind of pointed out the simplicity of it. And I think that's really accurate and something we've seen. And even if Halliburton was out there, like I mentioned, it would just be Fox's turn and then Halliburton's turn. Um, and, and having another guy to take a turn is valuable. You know, we saw at the beginning of that fourth when Sacramento maybe shot, showed a little bit of life that Fox checked out and Davion just doesn't have that same sort of level of impact initiating the pick and roll that, that maybe we could see from that we didn't ha- see from Davion. Um, and yeah, Holmes only playing 19 minutes is weird, but um yeah, I'm sure that in the prior segment here, I'm, I'm recording this one after that I'll, I'll dive into Holmes a little bit deeper. Um, yeah, to get your point of view after this, I, I guess final points for me is, you know, San Antonio just really looked comfortable and Sacramento was forced to play a half court offense a lot, which is something that they've struggled with often. So to me, allowing the other opposing offense that lacks creation to be comfortable is going to not only force you to have a ridiculously good offensive night and leave no margin for error when your shooters just aren't hitting some admittedly tough looks, but like I mentioned, Barnes and Heald not really knocking them down at their usual rate, really outlier nights for them, but you have no margin for that happening when you're forced into half-court settings over and over because the other team is shooting 53% from the field, 56% from three, and taking 31 shots at the free throw line. So. To me, this this comes down to the defense. I get the offensive struggles were a little frustrating in the first quarter, but um, yeah, if if you were actually getting some stops from Sacramento's point of view, it would have enabled more frequent ha- uh, f- transition offense, which the Kings have just been 
miraculous at this season. But moving on from from this game, the Kings sit at five and seven. The Spurs sit at four and seven right now after this matchup between the two of them. And I'm just curious, I guess, starting with like coming into the year, what were your expectations on where San Antonio would likely finish when it came to the Western Conference standings? Um, I I was in the group that felt like they were in that sort of mix for the play-in, but was probably going to fall a little short, just given the uh, competitiveness of the West. Um, it always feels like the West is going to be a little bit better than uh, than it ends up being, just when you when you look at teams on paper and um, you kind of start seeing things, certain teams, especially the younger ones, wilt a little, little bit. Uh, so, uh, but the Spurs, you know, uh, to their, um, not whatever the opposite of, to their credit is have, have, um, you know, let some games, uh, have dropped some games themselves. So, uh, they've sort of looked their age as well, but, um, I, I'd say, you know, I, I, I felt like they were in that mix for the play in. Um, and I, I imagine they're going to start trending that way. They've, um, obviously lost some close ones. They have a net rating that's just, that maybe they're a little bit better, but they've also, you know, played the magic twice. So who can really say? Uh, but you know, I think, I think the Spurs are going to trend upward. Um, I think the West is tough, but maybe not as tough as, uh, some of us thought, um, it would be going in. So I think they will be in that mix. You know, I, I, you know, I think the, the Kings, uh, should probably be as well. Um, and, uh, you know, if they can, if, if, if maybe Luke Walton can figure out some of these, uh, issues with the offense, just something to kind of grease the gears a little bit and, and really make use of that talent that that's you know legitimately there um i i hope to see both of these teams sort of duking it out um as uh as the the months roll on totally um seems like we could see that happening and yeah you know i gotta say i don't feel great about a walton popovich coaching matchup that that one's gotta (laughs) gonna scare me a little bit um okc did win tonight but they played the pelicans um and their other two wins i know two of them came against the lakers and I'm uh, pulling and the Spurs here. and the Spurs. <laughs> there we go. Yep, um, that would be one of the aforementioned convenient. Um, uh, meltdowns. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was going to say, you know, it kind of feels like New Orleans, Houston, and OKC are the bottom three of the West. Um, and then I would say, you know, we're talking San Antonio, Minnesota could fall into either one. Um, they have the talent to be in the upper tier, but inconsistencies kind of feel reminiscent of years past a reason to kind of never bet on them. And I guess you could say the same for the Kings. Um, And then, so yeah, Sacramento, Minnesota, San Antonio, and probably Portland kind of fall into that next group that would be falling between nine and uh, nine and 11 there. Do you kind of feel somewhat similarly with those tiers? That sounds about right. I wish I had a list in front of me. Um, but no, as, as you list them, that, that, that sounds right. I think Minnesota was obviously looking a lot stronger to start the year, but they, they're young. They, they, I've, I've having watched a few games, their, their offense is also, so, um, uh, it, it can just be pretty shambolic at times. Uh, and they have a bit of that, I think, bl- blow up potential in their genes still that just kind of carries over from some of these past years. So, um, I, I can see them sort of, you, you can see if, if, if the, if the young guys develop enough. Uh, them kind of elevating because again, talented team probably you'd, you'd say more top level talent than the Spurs, um, but also a young group that um, could definitely start playing to their age and still feel like 
there again a, a year out, um, uh, which would you know leave room for the Spurs and the Kings to um, uh, to rise up a little bit and be in that play-in mix. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a close race. Um, and before these two games, San Antonio, and, and really just before the San Antonio game, I mean, they had a horrible third quarter against Phoenix, but I think their resilience to come back down, I think 24 or 26 and make it a close game in the fourth that could have been winnable, like still gave me a sliver of hope. And I felt really good about the Kings being a 9-10 seed um, and things changed quickly. I probably was getting a little too excited or, or maybe just optimistic because it's rare that I get a chance to feel optimistic and be, have actual <laughs> reasons to be able to talk myself into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, from 11 games down in your point of view, how confident do you feel like if you had to place a percentage chance on the King on the Spurs making this play in tournament, what sort of range are you at? Sorry to put you on the spot with a hard number, but uh, I'm kind of curious where your mind is at with this. Yeah, I mean, it, it it varies. So I'll say it now and I'll probably feel different tomorrow or, or a few days down. But um, it, it's, it was probably um, sub 40 before uh, before tonight. But, um, you know, I think getting a look at another team that's in the mix like the Kings and um, not just seeing their record, but seeing how they they might show on a night that's not to say this is them any on 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 an every night basis but um i do feel a little bit more optimistic maybe it trends a little bit more towards 50 50 now for the spurs just because we've talked about some of these other teams um moving down and um i think you know it's going to be another weird season we've seen you know players lost for um health and safety protocols and i think stuff like that is going to really uh, be an X factor for yeah. a lot of teams and just kind of what, who, who you catch, what kind of team you catch on any given night. Um, so I, I, you, you, you never know how that's going to shake out, but I think the Spurs are sort of built to uh, weather a little bit of that just because of the, the, the depth that they have um, on the wing and um, you know, them showing that they can survive without somebody like Pirtle, uh bodes pretty well as well. But, you know, I think every team has that sort of built in optimism, like the, 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 the Kings, were um, five and six going into this one. And that was with somebody like Fox sort of not playing that well up to his level. And then I don't know if on your end, if, if seeing him have a night like this in him maybe is, is a bit of a silver lining or not, but totally um, I, I think a lot of teams have that kind of, um, you know, they, they have that X factor and uh, um, it's going to be a season of um, other variables and X factors. So um, only so much you can say, but um, definitely a, uh, confidence trending upward after after a game like this hard not to yeah definitely um it's going to be another interesting race for this play-in spot um you know i I think the one factor that is kind of under mentioned um last thing i'll ask you before i get you out of here bruno is you know the kings feel like a team that could make a big trade at some point in this season uh, as a way to kind of like they're very clearly win now and I don't think that they're desperate necessarily, but I think that they're going to be in the conversation for any big name that becomes available. You know, we've heard them rumored a lot with Simmons um, and some sort of talent upgrade or acquisition like that in the form of primarily sending out draft picks in my mind would be a significant roster upgrade. Um, am I right in thinking it doesn't feel like San Antonio is one of those teams that's going to be in conversations all too likely to be in conversations for some big name that be, could become available 
You know, you mentioned Simmons and as you never know really what, what information is coming out of San Antonio and how good it is, but they were mentioned as a team in the mix for him. And, you know, there were rumors of packages around DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker that um, they were throwing. And obviously we, we know that the Sixers and Daryl Morey have stood firm that they expect a super you know, star or level talent to return. Um, and so obviously he hasn't been moved yet. So um, I think that in terms of, uh, you know, win now, um, beyond something like that, it, 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 I, I don't see the Spurs doing it. Um, if anything, uh, guy who, man of the night, Thad Young has been mentioned as, uh, you know, this, this trade piece that uh, if he has continues to have nights like that could definitely um, return something like a first round pick, uh, which is, you imagine something that the Spurs would consider given that Jeez. they've sort of been an asset um, acquisition mode um, uh, uh, through that, through last summer. So um, I think if, if you see a move from San Antonio at the trade deadline, it could be something like that. Or if, uh, if there's a contender that's looking for a Bryn Forbes like piece, um, he's a, you know, low uh, salary, um, small salary that can be exchanged. So something more like that is probably what I see in the cards rather than the Spurs uh, mortgaging um, future assets. Yeah. Okay. You, you piqued my interest real quick. Um, last thing, actually, this time before I get you out of here. Sure. No, no worries. Marvin Bagley, you know, in the news right before prior to the game that he refused to play um, when he was asked to sub in against Phoenix. Um, I'm sure you saw the whole statement from his agent going into the year. And obviously Bagley hasn't panned out in the way that um, people have expected from your point of view, kind of outside looking in and, and your San Antonio is a place with a um, historically good culture where I, I feel like getting players to buy in is more common than other places, specifically a place like Sacramento. Um, yeah. From your point of view, is Bagley a guy that you would be willing to try and take on? Like, you know, is, is Thad young for Bagley in an idea? Is there a baseline of something there? Like, yeah, from, from your point of view, a team with a good culture that's maybe younger and, and well-coached, what's your sort of level of interest in Bagley? Personally, probably not that high, just because I've never been that much of a Bagley uh, person, and, and he's not really given much reason to, to, to think differently. That's why obviously he hasn't had uh, the greatest opportunity, well, not from my perspective, maybe uh, you being more familiar. Uh, maybe he hasn't squandered it. I don't know, but um, he. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's but and it's tough. You know, like I think people do like to link the Spurs to the you know the idea of reclamation projects. Uh, you know, he'd be especially a, an especially high you know blue chip uh, possibility just given um, his pedigree and where he was drafted, um, who he was drafted before. Did you know he was drafted before Luka Doncic? I don't know if you knew that. I, I've heard. Um, I've heard it once or twice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I forget sometimes, but. Um, yeah, um, but, uh, no, so like, I, I, I would be interested for sure, just because I'm sure that, you know, the, the talent is there to be an, an NBA player and, and, to, to really, and, and make use of his athletic skills. It's just, um, in it, what's happened in parallel with, uh, you know, him maybe not shining too brightly, uh, thus far in his career is that just the, the type of player he is as, as a big man, who's sort of more of a finisher and, and not a floor spacer and not an impactful defender. It's, it's just, you, you, you kind of have to talk yourself into the idea of him. Uh, and so it, it, that's why, you know, when, when you compare it to somebody like um, Thad Young, who can either 
be a perfect complementary piece uh, with a group of young wings and and make them better and and help them develop and foster that development. Or if uh, the Spurs think differently, uh, bring back something maybe along the lines of a first round pick. Um, uh, it, it, you you compare that to Bagley, who still has lots of potential. It it's it's a little tough. I I I do like to generally err on the side of uh, a proven living player versus uh, an asset like a pick, especially one that would probably be a high, uh, a late first rounder. Um, but yeah. um, that's all to say that n- not in, not in, incredibly enticed by the idea of Bagley, but I do, I would like to see him um, in a, in a situation where he can maybe thrive a little bit more and um, uh, see what comes of it. Yeah. I'll continue dreaming a little bit about, you know, Bagley in a second for Thad Young. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I'm just shocked that people aren't interested in everyone I talk to. This isn't interested in a six eleven athletic guy that doesn't really do anything on the floor. It's, it's a shame. It's a Look, shame. You, um, yeah. you, you guys pried one of those already away from the Spurs and Chemezi Matsu, who's, who's playing, <laughs> playing above Bagley right now. He played so, great. Um, he, yeah, well, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. He played, he played really good tonight. I said it's the best game that I've seen Metu play in the AT&T Center, so it's it's great to see him. Um, you know, it's just kind of how uh, players' careers are. You know, they're non-linear, and it's just uh, all about environment. So it's, um, it's cool to see him. Um, you know, showcase his talents a little bit more and and um, uh, have games like he did. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I'm optimistic for Metu. Um, showed a little bit of offensive versatility more than just a jumper and yeah got some confidence there but i won't keep you any longer bruno um again anybody listening that's bruno passos at bounce passos great at twitter handle by the way um on twitter covers the spurs for pounding the rock um anything any last words bruno or any any plugs that i'm missing here no no that about covers it um so thank thanks for thanks for having me it was fun and uh um look forward to the next uh time these two teams match up definitely uh might might see some close matchups down towards the end of the year um and yeah anybody listening you definitely check out all the great work going on at the king's herald and take a look at the patreon as for our local independent king's coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's Bulls podcast please subscribe rate and review hear from us again in the next couple of days